0: barbecue with with this dude. Dead giveaway. I declare bankruptcy!
1: Welcome back. I'm back. You're back. It's good to be back. We're in 2020. I don't know about you, but I really thought we would be. be riding around on hoverboards and flying cars and all that stuff okay as always it's been a little while since I've done an episode I do apologize but 2020 I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and do a lot more episodes. I'm gonna say at least 20 that's that's my goal for 2020 is to do 20 Ableton at least 20 Ableton cast episodes so thank you guys so much for, for joining me on the ride. I know it's uh, it's a bit sporadic, but um, thank you, thanks again. So today I interview a guy who goes by the name of Jason Timothy, and Jason's from Denver, Colorado. He's got a lot going on. He's written a Amazon bestseller on music production. Uh, he does a lot of training. He's got a podcast of his own, which is great, which I recommend you check out and he's an all around cool guy Right, so up next is my Convo Convo Session with Jason Timothy and again like I said you know he's, he's got quite a lot going on uh, does music full time sort of training everything is absolutely addicted to Ableton some may say he's got a serious problem Uh, But I just say he's fanatical about it and knows it inside out. So thank you for joining us again. Again, I'm hoping that we do at least 20 episodes this year. So here's episode one of 2020 with Jason Timothy. Enjoy. So Jason, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself, what you've been up to?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am... Um, obviously an an Ableton trainer, Um, been doing uh, actual music production training since about, probably about since 1999 and started on Ableton about uh, 2004. Um, I had been working in bands, I I think the the first kind of uh, band I started was all the way back in 1987, so I was pretty young when I, I started and, you know, through the, the process I, I suffered from, you know, pretty much everything that um, any of my current students uh, have gone through because I didn't have um, any sort of proper training uh, on music theory or sound design or um, songwriting or, or whatever. So I, I basically taught myself by ear. And sure, there's certainly benefits and disadvantages from that. But from taking this long journey, I think I've been able to help other people that aren't professionally trained um, to look at music in a way where you can break down the complexities uh, to their simple parts and develop more like a, more like a, a mental side uh, it's really about more the mental side of things than it is the technical. And I notice that a lot of people get caught up on the techni- technical. For one, it's much more interesting to uh, learn and, and do technical things. But learning a process is much more important. So that's what I've been, uh, as a trainer, that's what I've been doing. And I, I've been DJing um, since, uh, boy, about 1992, and uh, I've been doing electronic music production since about 1996. Um, My book came out, I think about four years ago now, and I can talk more about that, Um, but that's that's my basic introduction of what I've been up to. Uh, I've got several music projects, some more techno related and some more um, kind of slower tempo. and kind of a a more of a dark synth wave sort of influence
1: all right well since you've mentioned the book i thought this would be a good time for you to tell people about it you know what is it and where can they get it
0: yeah absolutely so the book is uh is available on amazon as a uh as an ebook as a kindle you don't need a kindle in order to read it you can just download a free app and read it wherever um, or if you've got Kindle Unlimited it's uh, the book is free To uh, download and read all you want um, My motivation behind writing the book was that I was um, Training kind of specifically on on Ableton uh, for quite a while and I had a lot of knowledge I gained on music production in general that wasn't specific to any dog and it was also a lot of things that that people just aren't talking about when it comes to music uh so i felt that i wanted to make something that would be useful to not just ableton users but to anyone that's trying to produce electronic music uh the book if you want to know is called the mental game of electronic music production Um, and it's not that long of a read but uh, it gets into a lot of the mental philosophies um, and really focuses on just the techniques that are really necessary for you to uh, start working and finishing uh, songs more quickly. Um, I've kind of taken a bit of a personal development approach to this book. So I've had a lot of people um, contact me, letting me know that not only did this help them with their music, but it helped them with their relationships and their health and uh, all kinds of different things that I never really considered at the time, um, which is fantastic. So I suppose it's a little difficult to tell you exactly what the book is about, uh, except the fact that it should give you a greater understanding of just the whole uh, mental side of producing music.
1: Right, so I wondered if you could speak about finishing tracks, because I think a lot of people are like me where it's easy to start a track, but it's actually kind of difficult to finish it. You end up with a bunch of songs that you've
0: started, but never finished, so uh, any tips on that? Yeah, the book goes into that, and obviously my personal training really dives into that as well. and. Yeah, you're, I think you're pretty uh, correct on it's kind of easy to get started with an idea. Um, And the issue really comes down to the foundation that you start with sometimes uh, isn't strong enough to support a whole song. Um, That's not always the case, but if you get the right sounds, if you've got that down and you've got a really great groove uh, that you know would work well, Then the issue is, how do you turn this into a song? And I think a lot of people make this much too difficult for themselves because they try to plan everything ahead. In other words, they might get their first 16 bars and then think about writing a song as, well, now i got to write the next 16 bars. And then after that, i got to write the next 16 bars. And you don't really have to look at it in that sort of a way. I think a better philosophy, especially for electronic music, is to approach it from a standpoint of if you have a a groove, a a really nice groove, eight bars, 16 bars, or whatever, you actually are closer to a finished song than you think. The challenge comes in in the fact that what we're trying to do is keep this groove, interesting for five to seven minutes or depending on the, the style of music that you're making, you know, it can be anywhere from three minutes to 10 minutes. But the goal is to have that groove kind of feel like home, a place that you return to a place that's comfortable and you take excursions as a way to keep the listener interested and keep some tension and release in in the track. So if you can learn a process to getting this one solid idea to sound interesting for an extended period of time, then every time you come up with a new groove, you'll have the confidence to know that it's actually going to be a song.
1: Cool. All right, I wondered if you could talk to us a bit about gain staging. I know there's a lot of sort of like information out there on the net. Um, but I just wondered if you could tell us what you like to do, because, you know, nowadays with all the samples, it's really easy to push your tracks over zero very quickly, sometimes just a kick in a snare and you can already be pushing zero.
0: Yeah. So there's a few, uh, there's a few things that I highly recommend, um, The thing that you want to get your head around is that when you're creating your song, volume shouldn't be that important. The only time that you use volume is to kind of check the impact that something has at a little bit louder of a level. But you're always going to end up with much better sounding mixes. And you're also going to hear the issues with your tracks much better at a lower volume. Um, The problem that happens a lot of times is that a lot of producers are using reference tracks that are already mastered. And then what producers try to do is create their own mastering chains um, instead of learning how to mix. Um, Because a mastering chain can make your song sound like it's better, but it's only a perception because louder almost always sounds better to our immediate ears until we put those loud tracks on a a very good club sound system. And you really notice the difference in, in fidelity of um, a well-mixed track and a track that is just squashed. So the way that I approach um, my gain staging is nothing really as complex as like a Skrillex might do. Not that... Um, those techniques are um, are inferior at all. In a lot of ways, they're they're great, you know. And, and that approach kind of comes down to you grouping different parts of your song uh, so that you can kind of keep a balance of your levels of this group, you know, your drum group, your bass group, your kind of like all all the other percussion group, and then maybe you know background sounds or what have you. I take a simpler approach and it's because I really can't fully predict what's going to sound best uh, until I have laid down my ideas and kind of pre-mixed a little bit and really just get a feel for how things sound. So as far as a uh, gain structure The first thing that you should know is at the end of your track, when you're finished with your track, you really want to keep your your overall RMS level, your average volume, somewhere between minus eight and minus six. That's a a pretty good place for it to be. So you're not trying to hit zero at all. In fact, the, the sounds that are the loudest in your track really shouldn't hit above minus three dB. And if they do hit above that, you either want to bring the whole track down um, to make sure that that stays under three dB, or you may want to lower or compress that other sound so that it doesn't peak quite so loud. Um, So I usually start with my groove, my beat. So I think a good place to start with a kick for example, would probably be somewhere around minus 10. And then I would start stacking on top of that slowly. And the thing that happens with a lot of people mixing is that they try, what they're going for is how loud can I make this next sound before it's too loud? And I think that is going to cause you to... um, mix every part a little bit too loud. Uh, and then by the time you get to the end of your mix, the last thing you mixed is going to sound much louder than the first thing you mix. So what I like to do instead, uh, I'll start with my kick drum and then I'll, I'll go through each of my sounds and I'll turn it up noticeably too loud to start with. And then instead of going from, low volume up to how high you can go. I would go from a high volume, and then as I pull it down, I'm actually trying to see how low I can get that sound while keeping the impact of that particular sound. So that way it's a different philosophy. You're actually fighting to get a lower sound instead of fighting to get a louder sound for each of your parts. And that's gonna keep your mix more under control And it's also going to keep the first things you mixed still sounding proper along with the last things you mixed. Another thing that you might want to keep in mind as well is when you're mixing a particular thing, let's say you're mixing a snare or something on on top of the rest of your song, instead of focusing on the sound of your snare, try to spend a little bit of your mixing time focusing on every other sound except for the snare or the part that you're mixing. And then you're going to be able to hear how that particular sound affects your other sounds. And lastly, what I would recommend is that after you get your mix where you think it's good, uh, mute that track and listen to your groove. So let's just assume that you get your basic drums and your bass going and you got a a nice kind of mix happening, as you start mixing other tracks in, you want to make sure that every time you add something new, that it's propelling your groove forward instead of backwards. In other words, it's making it more, it's making you nod your head more instead of less. And if you're nodding your head less, there should be a very good reason for it. Or you may need to either... Back that sound off, remove it, or change the timing in which it's playing, in order to keep every sound working with the groove instead of against it. Uh, so I know I didn't talk just about gain staging, but I think that whole, all of that kind of goes in to getting a, a nice sounding mix.
1: You know, just as you were mentioning the snare, I wondered if you had like a go-to level for snare. I know you said for kick, you like to have it at minus ten. But do you have a uh, certain number that you like to have a snare at?
0: No. uh, Actually, no, because um, here's the thing. I have different influences um, for each track that I create. So in some tracks, I might not want the, the snare or clap to be hardly heard at all, like just a hint. Or others, I want it to be very forward. So my workaround is to always have a reference track in in a similar style to what you're going for. And this is going to direct you much more. If you, if you can actually improve your listening skills and all the little details of your reference track. Um, and I should also mention, if you're using a reference track, I would drop it into Ableton at the very first track and lower the volume of that by 15 dB. You actually want that your reference track to be of lower volume than the track you're working on. That way you never are battling for volume to sound like your reference track. So once we have that, then it's really about using that as a guide to tell you where the other parts should fit. And obviously, I like to start with my groove first because these are the things that, that actually moves the listener most and then kind of let more like the pads and the things that are not as rhythmic um, kind of slip in underneath and find a good spot. But yeah, every song that I do is a little bit different. So I really um, I really have to make use of my, my listening skills uh, and there's, there's a number of ways that um, you can do that, and I describe that in my book and in some of my training as well, as ways to approach uh, improving your listening. But if you just get that one thing down, most of the technical stuff that you think you need to understand and know is going to just go away, and you're going to intuitively um, understand what you should be doing and when much better than kind of, going at things in a very, uh, textbook, uh, precise manner.
1: Cool. I wondered if you could talk to us a bit about some of the Ableton stock plugins, you know, Ableton comes full of a bunch of great plugins that some people may overlook, uh, but they've got some really powerful tools. And I wondered if you could just mention a few of those that you really like.
0: Yeah. Okay. I'm happy to do that. Actually, what I might want to do here is just pull up Ableton. I'm looking at it here so I could tell you you know, what I really like. Um, all of Ableton's tools have some really interesting um, advantages. Um, typically, my go-to synth in Ableton tends to be operator. And it's not necessarily that it sounds better. It's that when I'm starting with an idea, my goal is actually to get the melodic idea down as quickly as possible before I start assigning the sounds, because um, if I if I focus on getting the sound first, I may lose the r- initial idea. So I, I try to get that happening first it, with a very simple sound. And uh, operators default is just a very simple sine wave, so you know that you don't have to focus on too much else. That said. Um, The tools that I really, really like in Ableton, um, especially in Ableton 10, uh, the wavetable synth has some really amazing um, features that helps you create much more rich and evolving and complex sounds because it has something in it called the matrix. And the matrix allows you to assign LFOs so that many different parameters in the synth um, can move. It could be a filter that moves up and down. It could be a volume that moves up and down. It could be uh, your attack or decay. It could be literally anything. And also the wavetable itself, the whole point of a wavetable is that you've got a sound that is actually moving uh, slowly through a waveform that's complex. So the sound shifts as it plays through different parts of the waveform. So you can actually automate that really easily inside of the wavetable and get some really rich sounds. And it comes with some pretty pretty good uh, presets to get you started as well. So you don't gotta be such a sound designer to get these kind of rich sounding um, synth sounds or bass sounds or uh, really great for ambient and evolving sounds because of all the movement. Um, That said, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of the, the sampler uh, simply because, well, and the simpler is, is actually um, very easy to use as well. And in some cases, the simpler is so easy to use and so user friendly that that might be a preferred way to go if you're working with audio samples Um that you want to be able to change the key of. So if you've sampled a bass sound, for example, and you want to play it across the keyboard or or, or across like an octave, uh, the easiest approach would be to use the Simpler instrument. Um, Another great thing about the Simpler instrument is you could drop in, uh, for example, a, uh, a drum loop of some sort. And Simpler will automatically cut all the pieces of that drum loop up so that each note can play a different part of that beat so you can completely rearrange your beats Um, very simply. And all the sounds are going to work together because they're all all part of the same loop or the same kit, if you will. So that that can make production um, a lot easier. So the simpler is great. The Drum Rack is fantastic. Um, I mean, it it basically has kind of the, even though it's got 128 different... uh, locations that you can put samples, it it kind of does it 16 at a time, so it kind of feels like one of the old MPCs sort of thing. And essentially what you have inside each cell of the drum rack is actually a simpler instrument. So um, not simpler as in the tool, simpler. So essentially drum rack is like having 128 simpler instruments inside of it. Uh, which makes it really, really powerful when you are uh, creating drum kits and uh, several things like that. And it can go as you want it to go. You can layer each each cell in so many different ways as well. So you can get as complex or as simple as you want. That's what I really like about these tools. It it doesn't start off being very complicated to use. Um, It starts off pretty simple, but you can go as deep as you want. And once you understand kind of the philosophy behind Ableton's tools, all the tools start to make much more sense.
1: So I know that you've used pretty much every DAW out there from Pro Tools, Fruity Loops, Logic, and so on, but somehow you have landed on Ableton and uh, you seem to love it. So I just wondered if you could mention sort of how you landed on it.
0: Well, so, um, after you, I started off uh, using uh, Cakewalk, which I wasn't very pleased with. Um, and w- now we're talking like 1999 ish, 1998, 99, where I'm learning some of these programs. Uh, then I went to Cubase, which I liked quite a bit. Um, and the thing that nudged me from Cubase was when a program called Acid came out. And it was the first program that allowed you to drop in a loop and it would automatically correct the time to your master tempo. So you could drop in loops from all over the place of different tempos, and they would all match up. And that was kind of a a revelation at the time. Um, So I used that for a while, and then discovered Fruity Loops, which I really liked its approach to making loops. Uh, But I really disliked uh, Fruity Loops for its arrangement window. So for a while I was uh, making loops in Fruity Loops, exporting them into Acid and doing my mix on that program. And when Ableton, when I first discovered Ableton, I think it was about 2003, um, maybe 2004, it seemed to give me the the features that I liked about Fruity Loops and the features that I liked about Acid all into one program. Uh, And, yeah, it just kind of stuck. And it had a different philosophy uh, with the tools. And it actually did take me a little bit longer to learn Ableton because I had learned so many other DAWs that I had to unlearn certain things. But once I kind of came to the other side of that and started understanding the way it worked, Ableton just seemed more intuitive uh, as a program than any other that I had used up to that point so it's just something that I, I dove into. Originally, I was just going to train people, uh, make a, a course on Ableton. Then I was going to go and do the same thing with Logic and the same thing with Fruity Loops, the same thing, and, and go that route. But I started going so deep into Ableton that I, my interest just kind of stayed there, and I just decided to continue to go deeper. Um, and that was a program that I was, was choosing to produce in as well. So that's just kind of the evolution of how um, I got into uh, Ableton. And also the, the fact that you could use it as, as a live performance tool. You could use it for DJing. Uh, so there were a lot of really interesting things that it was offering that other programs didn't have at the time. Now, are
1: you mainly using it in arrangement view if you're mixing a track?
0: I do. I do. Um, I was kind of sold on the... Uh, the session view when I first started using it. And I was really pushing hard to, to use that to the maximum. But essentially the, the thing that you have to come to terms with is no matter what you do in the session window in Ableton, everything still needs to end up in the arrangement window before you can mix down your song and complete it. So what I found is that I, in trying to construct my full song in the session window, First off, visually, it didn't look like a song. It looked like a bunch of pieces of song. So mentally, I wasn't really able to even think of it as a song. It was more uh, thinking of it as just a bunch of different snippets, which can be a little confusing when your goal is to finish a song. So the session window kind of became uh, a bit of a procrastination window for me. And I've I've discovered that it's been the same for many of the uh, producers that I've trained as well. Um, so once I figured out how to do the things I was doing in the session window, in the arrangement window, I really never looked back because it was much quicker for me to see in a linear fashion, uh, where my song was going and where I was at. Um, and it was, it forced me to commit to things where in the session window, you can have all these different scenes with, and each scene is a collection of of loops, clips. You can have so many different versions of the way a song idea is sounding that when you try to put them together, it sounds like a really bad cut and paste job. It just loses its, uh, it doesn't sound as cohesive in many cases. So my preferred approach is to really start with one, once again, going back to that, your, your first kind of eight bar loop, is to get that the best it can be stretch that out and then see when it needs to change in order to keep the listener interested. Not because you just want to create change. You want to create enough tension in your song to keep things interesting. And that's when change should happen. Otherwise you would just be able to run this one loop for as long as you need. And it it could be considered a song if if it was interesting enough. Uh, Unfortunately, that very rarely happens. So You need to develop a process in how to take one idea and expand on it so it stays interesting.
1: Do you have any tips on, you know, when you're using the arrangement window, you mix in a big project that is, say, like over 30 tracks? I've found that compared to some of the other programs like Logic and Pro Tools, I find it a bit easier to manage bigger projects than those DAWs. Not saying they're better, I've just found it easier. Um, so I just wondered if you could comment on uh, any any tips that you have for sort of managing sort of big projects.
0: Yeah, sure. So um, what I will do uh, when I feel a little bit overwhelmed is I, I will uh, group different things. So I might have, you know, in some cases I might have four tracks that kind of make up the baseline. So I'll group that together so it's just... I, I When I'm mixing it, I'm just mixing the group track. I just get all these four tracks working well together so they sound kind of seamless um, and sound like one part. And then all I have to do is mix the volume from the whole group instead of all four separate tracks. Um, so I do a lot of grouping uh, for different sections of my song to simplify things. And then on, on top of that, uh, you have what is called... Um, you can, you can process or edit time instead of just, instead of editing just one track, you could actually put a, a loop section, loop a section, and then you can take that section and you can duplicate the whole section of a song instead of one, uh, one clip at a time or having to, to scroll all the way down from top to bottom of the track in order to duplicate a certain section you could uh, just highlight a section anywhere in your song and just by adding shift to whatever your uh, your editing command is you can duplicate a part you can cut out a part you can uh, you can you know cut copy paste uh, all that different stuff with the whole song instead of editing one part at a time and I find that to make structuring a song much much easier. Um, another thing is to just, uh, a simple tool is just hold the, the alt key and click on one of the arrows to close one of the tracks and it will close all your tracks at the same time. So it'll, it'll shorten everything. So it, it doesn't take so long for you to see everything that's going on in your track. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, and there, there's, uh, in Ableton 10, there's uh, quick keys to do that as well. Um, which I forget off the top of my head because it's just so easy to hit alt and click. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's the way I approach things. And if I feel overwhelmed by all the music and let's say I'm trying to add a vocal to it on top of it, what I might do actually <laughs> is I might render out all of my music as a stereo wave, bring it into a new project, and then just work on my vocals in a new project so I'm not distracted by so many tracks. And once I have, let's say, my vocals dialed in, I could just export those vocals back into my, my main uh, session. But all the editing is, is much, much easier and quicker to do.
1: So I always love to ask people you know, what their favorite third-party plugins are. I know Ableton makes some great ones, but it is also nice from time to time to reach reach for something that's not made by Ableton. So, do you have any favorites?
0: Sure, yeah, I could do that. Um, well, let, let me—I'd uh, say my top five, uh, like synth plugins, uh, would probably be. Actually, let me just dive in here. Um, I think X for Records obviously makes some great stuff. You know, Serum is, is great. Uh, but to be honest, I, I've been avoiding using Serum just because it's such a popular tool. Um, but you can't deny uh, how great it sounds. So um, I like that that tool. Um, Expert Records also has a, a like a drum program called Nerve. And it works kind of similar to the way FL Studio or, or Fruity Loops works. Uh, but it has a lot of other real-time... Uh, processing that you can do with your sounds, and you can drop in your own samples to it as well. A really, really great tool. Um, I like that quite a bit. There's a synth uh, called, let's see here, um, you know, by Isotope. Let me find what it's called here real quick. Is it Iris? Iris, that's correct. Iris is a really interesting synth that I really uh, like to use because it, it. there's nothing else that really does uh, sound design the way this does. Uh, it, it, it does it in a much more visual sense. It can make sounds out of pictures in a way. Um, and the way you affect the view can affect the way the filters work and all kinds of uh, uh, spec from uh, sort of processing. So you're going to get like really, really interesting uh, sounds out of it. And I really like tools that I can get interesting sounds out of. Um, and I, I'll do kind of what I call idea jams with these. So instead of trying to just pull it into a project, I might spend two hours just doing a session where I just mess around with the synth and record everything I do. And then I'll kind of take that and uh, pull that into a project I'm doing and just grab the sounds that I think are interesting. Uh, It works much more quickly that way than for me to try in the middle of a a production session to try to do a lot of uh, sound design sort of things. Um, Let's see. What else I really like? um, Let me take a look here at some other stuff there's one where every note you play actually sounds different uh, on the synth. Uh, it's called sin plant. is a very uh, interesting way of sound design that does not use knobs or anything. It's, they, it's all, it, it works kind of like a plant. You can, with, with the synth, you can kind of plant your seed and then you can grow it in different ways. And then you can, if, if you're going in a direction you like with your sound, you can pl- plant a new seed with that direction. But the interesting thing about it is you have a different seed for every note in your scale. So as you play a scale, you're literally, it's kind of like playing a different synth with every note, if you want. Um, you have the option to do that or the option for every sound to be the same. Uh, but plant is a, a really powerful tool uh, that I use quite a bit to get, interesting sounds and the last one I'll mention is absinthe and the the thing I like about absinthe um, is that it's got a button a random button so what it does is you can find a sound that is kind of cool and then you can hit the random button and it'll kind of change that sound by whatever percentage you want it to so you can like create loads of really interesting random sounds uh, that the synth will just create for you and you just pick the ones you like. So uh, I like a lot of synths where you have a lot of random accidents that can happen because I find that, that that's where more of your interesting sounds are going to come from.
1: So lastly, i just like to give each of my guests a chance to kind of plug themselves, tell the listeners um, where they can find them and sort of what is coming up in the future.
0: Sure. Yeah. And thanks for giving me the opportunity for this. So uh, you can find my website at musicsoftwaretraining.com and you can check things out there. Um, if you would like to talk to me personally, um, I offer uh, your first uh, 20 to 30 minute session for free so that I can kind of get to know you and, and actually point you in the right direction. And that might be with me. It might be with someone else. Or you might, I might feel that you're going in, in a perfect direction on your own, um, which is rarely the case. But sometimes that is the case that you know you've kind of got it nailed, but you just need someone to tell you you're doing it right. And if you're interested in that, you could contact me at musicsoftwaretraining.com forward slash application. And what that's going to do is take you to a, a quick form that you can fill out that kind of lets me know where you're at with your music and then we can schedule a 20-30 to minute uh, chat and see how I can help you Uh, if you're interested in my book you can find the uh, mental game of electronic music production on Amazon and you can um, find my YouTube channel it is just youtube.com forward slash interstate I-N-N-E-R state S-T-A-T-E jt as in jason timothy uh and there's loads of uh you know free videos and training there so that's pretty much uh how you can contact me
1: okay jason thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it and i look forward to seeing what's coming up in the future
0: fantastic thanks for having me on it's been a pleasure
1: okay another episode done thanks again for listening i should have said at the beginning. Um, I've got a cold, so my voice is a little bit stranger than normal. I've got like this extra octave thing going on. So I'm not trying to be cool. Um, uh, Not that it is cool, but anyways, if you're wondering what that's all about, I haven't like hit an octave, octave pedal or anything like that, or don't have a guest Barry White filling in for me. I wish I did. But anyways, until next time, I will see you again.